All right, if nobody else wants to say anything, we're going to read from Psalm 119 today. Psalm 119, 169 through 176. And this brings us to the end of this psalm. I think we've been on this for like six months now. Psalm 119, 169 through 176 says, May my cry come before you, Lord. Give me understanding according to your word. May my supplication come before you. Deliver me according to your promise. May my lips overflow with praise, for you teach me your decrees. May my tongue sing of your word, for all your commands are righteous. May your hand be ready to help me, for I have chosen your precepts. I long for your salvation, Lord, and your law gives me delight. Let me live that I may praise you, and may your law sustain me. I have strayed like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I have not forgotten your commands. So through this entire psalm, we've seen what a blessing God's law, God's commands are. And there's life in keeping God's commands. And we can do that through the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within us. God has given us his word, given us his commands so that he can show us how to live. And as we do that, we live the kind of life that we're supposed to live. We show people what Christ looks like. And we do that through God's grace. So we're going to sing some songs together today. But before we do that, let's pray the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's worship the Lord together.
Good morning, everyone. <clears throat> when we take communion, we're remembering Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. The bread and wine are tangible, visual, visual reminders of Christ's love. Rather than just saying, remember, Jesus gave us a reminder. Just like we depend on food and drink to live physically, we can only live spiritually through Christ. As we take these symbols of the body and blood of Christ, we need to be thankful. The Lord's Supper is not only a reminder of his death, but is also a celebration of the grace of God and the privilege of being forgiven. Father, we thank you for this day and all the blessings that we have, and thank you for the sacrifice that you made for all of us. Amen. Good morning. Now is the time in the service for announcements. Matthew 25 Ministries, um, they collect pill bottles, empty pill bottles for lots of different things here locally and internationally. So if you have empty pill bottles you want to bring in and donate, there is a um, plastic container out in the foyer that you can drop those in. Um, we also here at Heartland collect used ink cartridges. Um, some of the office supply places, they allow us to reduce the costs of office supplies when we recycle with them. So don't throw them away. Bring them on in. Um, food pantry closed closets every Thursday, 5 to 7. We have added a few days here and there, especially since the tornado, um, just to make sure that everyone's needs are met. 
Um, here is some, a list of some most frequently needed items. Um, currently, we're not taking any other donations other than food. Um, so if you have questions about anything, let me know, because there's lots of places that we that are also collecting. So we want to make sure that we are still doing our part um, to move things in where they need to be needed the most. Uh, refit free dance fitness class every Tuesday and Thursday here, 6.30 to 7.30. If you have any questions, you can contact Kristen. Mellon Ridge Nursing Home Church Ministry is the fourth Sunday of every month, so that means today. Um, after service, we will uh, fellowship with lunch uh, for those that are going over with us, and then we will have a service from 2 to about 2.45, and uh, then we'll be done for the day. But if you have any questions about this from month to month, there's many people that have gone already. Um, if you don't think you're able to go or you want to contribute in a different way for this, let me know, and there is a sign-up in the back on the welcome table. Tithes and offerings can be given in person in the offering box in the back of the sanctuary. Um, we also have the ability to give online, and there's the address there. Um, the weekly budget is listed here, um, and some ministries that you can support through giving at Heartland. There is a uh, flyer in the back in the foyer um, that tells you some of the same information since we're kind of flying through it a little bit. <laughs> um, weekly community outreach um, through, through a cookout, and... Um, the whole entire month of July so far, every Saturday we've gone over to Lakeshore um, Estates, and it has just been a blessing. I mean, people are calling the church saying thank you. People are coming to visit at church, and it's not about us. It's not about our church, but it is about making relationships so they can see Jesus in us, and we can let them know um, if they're looking for a church where they can come to. Goshen Ready Fest 2022. So this is where um, we think we have about 13 churches and Christian organizations coming together this year for this event. This is our seventh year doing it. Heartland has committed to collecting colored pencils and zipper pencil pouches. So no boxes, please, but the pouches are good. Um, and so we have free backpacks, free school supplies, free face painting, free haircuts, free food, and free music. It's a really good time to fellowship, to meet other Christians um, someone was telling me this morning um, they were very thankful for this event and to see churches coming together to do things. Uh, so many times we feel like um, maybe you can't talk to that person because they're in a different church or they're in a different denomination. And, and um, this is just a good time for people that um, are in the church or outside of the church to see us all just coming together for a good purpose in the name of Jesus. So we're going to jump right in here today to the word of God. I'm pretty excited about this. I don't like having weeks off where I can't speak the word of God to folks. It's just that something builds up inside you and you got to get it out. So that's what we're going to do today. I'm going to get it out. So let's, let's turn together in our Bibles to the book of Colossians, the letter of Colossians. Colossians chapter 1. And today we're just going to read verses 1 and 2. Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. And when you find that in your Bible, please stand for the reading of God's word. I know in our uh, culture today, there's not a whole lot of turning in your Bible. It's usually uh, just turning the phone on and flipping to whatever, typing in the title or whatever it is. So, yeah. So, everybody's there. So, the title of today's teaching is A Salutation to the Saints. And in Colossians 1, 1 through 2, 2 the scriptures say, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, through the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ in Colossae, Grace to you and peace from God, from God our Father. So today we're going to start a series of messages through the book of Colossians. 
And this letter, it's one of my favorite books in the Bible because it tells us so much about the true gospel and the true grace of God. So we're going to spend our time today learning about the writer and the recipients of Colossians as we study a salutation to the saints. That's what we'll talk about today. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. And as we study your word together, we ask you to open our eyes, our hearts, and our minds to see the truth and give us the will and the ability to live out the truth through your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. So in today's passage, we see the standard introduction of ancient letter. And these letters begin with an opening salutation. And the salutation has three parts. And the first part of the salutation introduces us to the writers. Colossians 1.1 tells us this letter was written by Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, through the will of God. So a man named Paul, who describes himself as an apostle of Christ Jesus, wrote this letter. But what is an apostle? Well, an apostle is a messenger, someone sent by another person to represent that person in official business. And this man named Paul, he tells us he's a representative of the most important person who ever lived on this earth. Paul is a representative of Christ Jesus, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Now, Paul had a special commission from God to be a messenger of King Jesus. Now, this man named Paul is also called Saul in the New Testament scriptures. He was once a prominent member of a Jewish religious group called the Pharisees. The Pharisees lived by a strict set of man-made religious rules, and these rules were known as the tradition of the elders. And the Pharisees, they thought that this separate, this, this tradition, their traditions separated them from sin and brought them closer to God. And that's what the name Pharisee actually means. It means the separated ones. But what the Pharisees did not realize is those human traditions were actually separating them, not from people, but from God. Jesus told them on several occasions that by their traditions, they were setting aside God's word and they were, their worship of God was in vain. As we read in Mark seven, five through nine and the Pharisees and the scribes asked Jesus, why do your disciples not live according to the tradition of the elders, but eat their bread with unclean hands? So he said to them, Isaiah prophesied correctly about you hypocrites as it is written. This people honors me with their lips but their heart is far from me and they worship me in vain, teaching as doctrines, the commandments of men, abandoning the commandment of God. You hold fast to the tradition of men. And he said to them, you splendidly ignore the commandment of God so that you can keep your tradition. Paul was one of these people. He was so zealous for and so devoted to this form of Judaism that Paul tried to destroy the church of Christ. Paul persecuted God's people. Paul put many of them in prison. He had them punished in the synagogues, pursued from place to place, and he even had some of them put to death. Paul did everything he could to oppose the name of Jesus because Paul thought that through his traditions, he was doing God's will. Well, the Lord Jesus had other plans for Paul. And Jesus revealed his plans to Paul in a very dramatic way as Paul was on a dusty road headed to Damascus. And Paul tells us how this happened as he was testifying before King Agrippa in Acts twenty six thirteen. Paul says, in the middle of the day along the road, O king, 
I saw a light from heaven, more than the brightness of the sun, shining around me and those who were traveling with me. And when he had all, we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Aramaic language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now notice that Jesus says Paul was persecuting him. And this is important because Paul was actually persecuting the church. But Jesus is so closely connected to his church that he tells Paul, when you persecute my church, will you persecute me? Jesus then goes on in Acts 26, 16 through 18 to give the reason that he appeared to Paul. Jesus says, but get up and stand on your feet because for this reason I've appeared to you to appoint you a servant and witness both to the things in which you saw me and to the things in which I will appear to you, rescuing you from the people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a share among those who are sanctified by faith in me. That Paul was chosen by God to be an apostle, a representative of King Jesus, and Paul's mission was to carry the message of the gospel of God's kingdom to the Gentiles. Who are the Gentiles? Well, the Gentiles are all non-Jewish people from every nation. I don't think that there's any uh, full-blooded Jews in here, so we're all Gentiles, basically, is what we are. So King Jesus commissioned Paul to take the gospel of the kingdom of God to every non-Jewish nation on the earth. And through the message of the gospel of the kingdom, Paul would turn people from the power of Satan to the power of God, from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. And in this kingdom, people can have their sins taken away and have a share in the glory of Christ through faith in Christ Jesus. That was Paul's mission from God. You know, God has given all of us a similar mission. We may not be, we're we're not apostles like Paul was, but, but God has given us a similar mission. Through the message of the gospel of the kingdom that Paul preached, God calls each and every one of us to be saved from the power of Satan by the power of God. God calls all of us to come into the kingdom, come out of the kingdom of darkness and come into the kingdom of light. And once we are in the kingdom by becoming a part of Christ's church, well, then we're given the privilege of sharing in the task of turning other people from the power of Satan to the power of God and bringing other people out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light. And right now, we have more opportunities to do that in our community than we've ever had before. You know, we as a church have always been very active in the community of Goshen. We're always out here trying to talk to people, to tell them about the Lord and things like that. But the devastation of the recent disaster has created a unique situation for us. See, a lot of people we would have never met, people we've never spoken to, people who never knew that we were even here as a church, well, now they're coming to us for help. And I believe that God has placed this group of people in this community in this body of believers at this time to show this community what it looks like when people actually sell out to the Lord Jesus, when we live our lives in the kingdom of God. God is using this community or this body of believers to show people what it looks like to follow Jesus. Now, people are coming to us for physical help. 
And as we meet their physical needs, well, we can talk to them about their spiritual needs. And, you know, those conversations are very easy to start when people come up to you and they're getting things from you. It's a very easy conversation to start. You just ask people, hey, where do you go to church? Can all of us do that? Can you ask that person, where do you go to church? We can all do that, right? It's a very neutral question. There's nothing offensive about it. You're just asking them, where do they go to church? Another question you can ask people, can we pray for you? See, through simple questions like those, we can create opportunities to introduce people to King Jesus. Another thing that's very important for us is as people come to us for help is make sure you ask them what their name is. Tell them what your name is. Introduce them to other people from the church. Why do we do this? Because these are human beings that we care about, and they need to see that from us. It's not just people coming up to get things from us. These are people who are created in the image of God, whom God wants to redeem through us, through our, their contact with his church, right? So we need to make sure that we show them we care about them. Ask them what their name is. Tell them what your name is. Introduce them to other people. So what we can do through these interactions with people, we can lead them out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light. It may not be through that first contact that we have with them, but that first contact gives you a, a place to start. We can encourage them to be freed from the power of Satan and find life and peace through the power of God. See, everything that people need, both physically and spiritually, they'll find those things in the kingdom of God. And they can only find those things in the kingdom of God, right? So as people continue to come to us for help, let's be sure that we're not just meeting their physical needs. We have so much more to offer people than physical food and physical drink. Let's be sure we invite them to come and eat the living bread that came down from heaven so that they can live forever. Let's invite them to drink from the living water that Jesus will give them so that they'll never thirst. Let's invite people to come and experience the physical and spiritual blessings that can only be found through a relationship with Jesus in his church. Now, as we look back at the, begin, uh, at the greeting in Colossians, we see that Paul the apostle was not alone in writing this letter. Although throughout the rest of this message, I'm probably going to say Paul said this and Paul said that because Paul is the main dude here, right? But at the end of Colossians 1.1, Paul says he was also with Timothy, our brother. Now, Timothy was a young man, probably in his early 40s. So when the, when the scriptures talk about Timothy being young, it doesn't mean he was like in his 20s or 17 or something. He was probably in his 40s. And he came into the kingdom of God under Paul's ministry. And Timothy closely imitated Paul's faith and way of life in Christ. And eventually, as Timothy continued to do that, Timothy became one of Paul's co-workers in establishing churches throughout the world. And Timothy was so much like Paul that in 1 Corinthians 14, 16 through 17, Paul could say to the church in Corinth, I exhort you, become imitators of me. Because of this, I have sent to you Timothy, who is my dear and faithful child in the Lord, who will remind you of my ways in Christ Jesus, just as I teach everywhere in every church. Now, several times in his letters, Paul urges people to watch him and to imitate him and other godly people in the church. Timothy was one of those people. Now, what Paul says here is a lot different than what people so often say in the modern church. People say, and I've said this before as well, keep your eyes off of men and women in the church and instead keep your eyes on Jesus. Or don't look at how the members of the church live. Look at Jesus. And now I'm sorry to say this, but those things sound really humble and really spiritual 
And like I said, I've said those things myself. But those statements are complete nonsense. Because remember that we saw early how Jesus said, how close Jesus is to his church, right? To persecute the church is to persecute Jesus. So the truth is the only Jesus people will ever see is the Jesus they see in the members of his church. So we cannot separate the people of the church from Jesus. Jesus is the head of the church. The church is his body. And members of the church are the members of his body. So when people look at the members of the church, well, what should they see? They should see Jesus in each and every one of us. And that's why Paul told the churches to watch him and to imitate him because he was imitating Christ. Paul lived a righteous, a holy, and a faithful life just like Christ did. And Paul trained Timothy, his dear and faithful son in the faith, to follow in his footsteps. So Paul could tell the churches to watch Timothy, to imitate Timothy, because Timothy's life was a reminder of the way of life Paul taught and lived in all the churches. Timothy faithfully followed the apostolic traditions, the teachings and practices of faith, just as Paul had passed them down to him. And you and I must learn to do the same. See, the church is Christ's body in the world. We're his hands, we're his feet, we're his mouth. And how members of the church live, how we speak, how we act, how we treat people around us, well, that's either going to bring people closer to Christ or drive them away from him. So when we profess to be members of the church, well, we have a huge responsibility. We represent Jesus to the people around us. So we need to constantly ask ourselves these questions. Do we use our hands as Jesus would use his hands to bring hope, help, and healing to those in need? Do we use our feet as Jesus would use his feet to walk in obedience to God's, God's commandments and lead others to do, this, to do the same? Do we use our mouths to say what Jesus would say, speaking words of truth, light, and life to the people around us. See, the only Jesus the world will ever see is the Jesus they see in you and me. So listen, when we see people out here acting a fool and saying they're a member of the church, we should call them out on it, right? So you're a member of the church. You said that you follow Christ. Why don't you act like it? That's our response. So we need to be like Paul. We need to be like Timothy. Let's learn to model the example of godly men and women who are themselves models of Christ. Let's learn to live such good, upright, and godly lives that we'll be able to say to others what Paul says in Philippians 3.17. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. See, let's make every effort to become models of the Christian life so that when the world sees us, they see Christ in us. All right, so in the first part of the salutation of Colossians, we see the writers of Colossians where Paul, who was appointed by the will of God to be an apostle, an official representative of King Jesus, and with Paul is Timothy, who was Paul's dear and faithful son in the faith. So let's look now at the second part of Paul's salutation where we learn about the recipients. Now in Colossians 1-2, we see this letter is written to the saints and faithful brothers in, in Christ in Colossae. So Colossae was one of three important cities in the Roman province of Asia Minor. The other two cities were Hierapolis and Laodicea. Now Paul mentions both of those cities in this letter to Colossae. 
Now, the land around these cities was very fertile, and the people there were very wealthy. And at one time, these cities were bustling with business, and countless cultures came together to engage in trade. But by the time of the New Testament, Colossae was a relatively unimportant town, at least from world, a worldly perspective. But from God's perspective, there was an open door in Colossae to advance his kingdom. Now, Paul did not plant the church in Colossae. That uh, honor was given to a man named Epaphras, who, who uh, Paul sent to Colossae on his behalf. As Paul says in Colossians 1.7, you learned the gospel from Epaphras, our dear fellow slave, who was a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf. So many years before Paul wrote Colossians, Epaphras preached the gospel of the kingdom in Colossae, and the church in Colossae was born. And we don't know exactly how long the church had been established before Paul wrote this letter, but Paul heard that this church was starting to have some troubles. The false teachers had slipped in among them. And there were at least two different groups of false teachers who were attacking the Colossian church. The first group were called Judaizers. The Judaizers tried to get non-Jewish converts to Christianity to follow the law of Moses. And they were especially concerned, not so much about the moral law, but about circumcision, food laws, and Sabbath days. The other group of false teachers were Gnostics, or at least early Gnostics. These people rose up within the church and began to teach that salvation comes through hidden wisdom, hidden knowledge, and extremely harsh treatment of the physical body. And both of those groups were in serious error. Both of those groups were trying to lead the church in Colossae away from the true gospel. So Paul sends this letter to Colossae to remind them about the true gospel and the true grace of God, to remind them who they are in Christ and how to live in Christ, and to encourage them to hold on to and keep living out the true faith as they had been taught. Now, I want you to notice in Colossians 1-2, Paul calls the Colossians the saints. What does Paul mean when he calls God's people saints? And by the way, he doesn't say to the sinners in Colossae. He doesn't say that, does he? He says to the saints in Colossae. How often do we say, we're just sinners saved by grace? Can we get that out of our vocabulary, please? Please. It's not true. We're not sinners saved by grace. We're saints saved by grace, right? So what does Paul mean when he calls people saints? Well, the NIV, it does a good job here bringing out Paul's meaning. It says, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. And in Colossians 1, 4, Paul says, we heard about your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints. So when we combine these two verses, we see that in Paul's mind, the saints are those men and women who are God's holy people, who have faith in Christ Jesus, who are faithful to Christ Jesus, and who have love for all the saints. To say this another way, a saint is someone who is a member of Christ's body by being a member of his church and who is faithfully following Christ's commands and loving God's people. Those are the recipients of Paul's letter to Colossae. And nearly 2,000 years have passed since Paul wrote this, but this letter is just as relevant to the saints today as it was in the first century. Because Paul not only wrote this letter to the saints in Colossae, Paul wrote this letter to all saints for all time. That means he wrote this letter to the saints in America, to the saints in Ohio, to the saints in Goshen, 
There's so much in this letter about the Christian life, so much that we need to learn. So I want to encourage you all to do what I'm going to do myself. Read or listen to this letter over and over and add to this letter the letter to the Ephesians. Read and listen to those over and over. Saturate yourselves with these two letters until God's words in these letters become a part of you until it just rolls off of your tongue, until you know exactly what Paul's talking about. And if we'll also practice the things that we learn in these letters, in other words, if we're not just hearers, but we actually obey God's word, then I can guarantee no matter where we are today in our lives, then our lives will change for the better every day as we become better and better citizens of God's kingdom. All right, so we've talked about the writer of Colossians and the recipient of Colossians. So let's look now at the third and final part of this salutation to the saints, which is the greeting. So Paul took the standard greeting of a letter in, in, uh, in, in his time, and he actually turned it into a prayer where he's saying grace and peace to you. Grace and peace. Did those two words come up again and again in Colossians and in Paul's other letters? Those two words are the core of the gospel of God's kingdom. Because the gospel teaches us it's through God's grace, which God gives us in Christ, that we have peace with God. Now, we got to be sure that when we're talking about grace, that we define grace the way the scriptures define grace. For example, we see how Jesus defines grace in 2 Corinthians 12, 9. Jesus said to Paul, he says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. And then Paul goes on to say, therefore, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may reside in me. Now, I want you to notice the words in red, my grace, my power, Christ's power. So both Jesus and Paul, they use grace and power interchangeably. Jesus says his grace is sufficient for Paul's weakness because Jesus's power is made perfect in weakness. Paul says it's in our weakness that Christ's power, Christ's grace resides in us. So when we're weak in ourselves, the grace of Christ makes us strong. So God's grace as defined by scripture is Christ's incomparably great divine power at work in God's people. Grace is the energy of God given to God's people to live as God desires. And this is what Paul means in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. This is what Paul means when he says, By grace you are saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. It is not from works so that no one can boast. For we are his creation, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we may walk in them. See, God saves us through his grace, through his power. It's not by our own power, not by works that we do in our own strength, but through the strength that God gives us through his grace. See, from beginning to end, salvation is the work of God in us, energizing us to be who he created us to be in Christ. God saves us through the miracle of rebirth, which is brought about by God's divine power when we're baptized into Christ. God then continually gives us his grace, his divine power, to obey Christ's commands, and so do the good works that God created us to do in Christ. And see, this is what Paul's praying for when he says in Colossians, grace to you from God the Father. He's praying for God's divine power to be at work in God's people. 
to enable God's people to live lives that are worthy of the Lord and please the Lord in every way by doing the good works that God created us to do in Christ. And we've got to rely on God's grace. We've got to rely on God's divine power every moment of our lives. We cannot live as, as the people of God create, that God created us to be in Christ without God's grace. But listen to this. Through God's grace, every single person can become exactly like Jesus. We can be like God in righteousness and holiness if we'll just walk in the power of God. So like Paul... Let's make praying for grace for ourselves and for others our constant habit. It's as simple as saying, Lord, give us your grace. And when we have God's grace and through God's power, we're walking in God's will for us by obeying Christ's commandments. Well, then we'll also have God's peace. And this is a peace that goes far beyond our ability to comprehend. Through all the storms, all the temptations and troubles we face in this life, we will have God's peace if we'll just learn to live every day by God's grace through God's divine power. Amen. And as we close, we've seen today that the writer of Colossians are Paul, who is an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, and Timothy, Paul's dear and faithful son in the faith. And we've also seen the recipients of this letter are the saints, not just in Colossae, but the saints everywhere at all times. And that means that this letter was written to you and to me. And if the Lord is willing, well, in the coming weeks, we'll learn about the many treasures that God gives us in Christ as we dive deeper into Paul's letter to the Colossians. It's going to be a fantastic ride. So come on back next week and hear the rest of it. Let's all stand for prayer. Lord, we thank you for calling people like the Apostle Paul in the ministry. Thank you for carrying him along as he wrote this precious letter to us so we can learn how to live you as you want us to live. Lord, take the truths we've learned today and plant them deeply in our hearts and give us your grace. Give us your divine power to live out those truths today and always. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'll speak the Lord's blessing over you all. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace. In Jesus' name, amen.